I uh, love this series we've been in so much. I don't want it to end, and I know probably some of you do, and I don't know if you do or don't, if you're rooting for one way or the other, but we are going to come to at least a pause this morning because it's really something we've been talking about since the earliest days of Passion City Church, this little part of this beautiful global church that God's building. Uh, and it's something we're going to continue to talk about as well because we're always trying to create culture, that kingdom culture, that heart of Jesus culture among his people. But I love these last few weeks, and I love coming to the end of it today, talking about the distinctives of the church we're a part of. You know, you didn't just come from that other church to Passion City Church, or from no church to Passion City Church, or from, I haven't been in church in a really long time, to Passion City Church, but you're stepping into something that Jesus has been doing for a really long time. And I just want to emphasize again today, this is his church. Isn't that awesome? This isn't my church or our church. This is Jesus' church today. And we're a part of what's been happening from the very beginning. We mentioned last week that when the church was born, it was explosive. Don't you love that? On day one of the church of Jesus, once he was raised from the dead, ascended back to heaven, had sent the Holy Spirit, on day one, first sermon, first proclamation of the gospel, 3,000 people were baptized on the first day. Didn't just make a decision, were actually baptized on day one. So the church went from this little band of 120 followers. Imagine how cool that must have been. We talked about it last week. Jesus' brothers were in the group. His mother was in the group. You know, there wasn't anybody to brag to back then, but if there was, you could have gone home and gone, yeah, where do you go to church? Well, I go where Jesus' mother goes. You know what I mean? That's pretty, that's pretty good, right? And uh, you know Jesus' brothers? I'm in that church. You know the apostles? I'm in the church with them. It's 120 high-power people. Cool little clump. I'm sure they all loved each other knew each other intimately, had grown up together. Some of them had fished together, had run businesses together, had met Jesus together. But on day one, that 120 grew to 3,120 because what we're a part of is explosive. It's not supposed to be incremental. And that's why we all have to examine whether we're really a part of this church, this Jesus church. Because it's not an incremental church. It's not the kind of thing where six people come to faith this year. 21 people get baptized this year. This is an explosive gospel and an explosive kingdom. And when we grab onto that, not the idea that this is church, if we can all get here and get in our places and get our worship on and get some teaching and feel like we've really you know, been able to embrace something for the day, that this is church, when that idea is replaced with, I am church. Now, yes, there is a structure. Yes, there is the apostles' teaching. That's right in the early days. Yes, there is leadership. Yes, God is the head. Christ is the head. Yes, he has put people in places of leadership. Yes, we are moving collectively together. But in that collectively together, I'm a part of the church. I am a part of the body of Christ, not a member of an organization, not somebody who signed my name on a roll, not an attender, but I'm a part of the body of of Christ, and if the, the world, the whole world, if the whole city, if my whole campus, if, my, if the, the whole middle school 
is gonna get who Jesus really is. It's not gonna be about what happens in the four walls on the weekend. It's gonna be the reality of my life actually fleshing that out to them, in front of them, in the everyday flow of life. Wouldn't it be amazing if all over the city of Atlanta, conversations happened every day like this? You know what? I used to think the church was whatever. I used to think Christians were whatever. I used to think that whole God thing was whatever. And then I met so-and-so. I was in this business meeting yesterday, and I met this guy, and whoa, I think my thinking's starting to change. I was on this soccer team at school, and there's this new girl on our team, and man, my thinking's starting to change, because I thought I knew what church was. I thought I knew what Christians were. I thought I knew what this God story was, but everything's changing now. That's because you and me realize that we're the carriers of this gospel revolution. And when that starts to happen, you can't build big enough buildings. You can't have enough gatherings across a weekend because in that moment, the kingdom becomes explosive and people are coming to know Jesus every single day of the week. That's what it's really all about. We talked about a few distinctives last week and I wanna pick back up. If you have your scripture this morning, we're looking at Acts chapter one, two, and chapter four, the beginnings of this church and there are a few distinctives that were true of the church on day one, they're still true of us today. If we're not about labels, which we're pretty happy to say, but we don't wanna be non-label either. We don't want our label to be we're non-labeled, right? So we don't wanna go around going, hey man, we're cool because we don't have a label. Isn't that awesome? We're the non-label people. I don't wanna be the non-something people. I wanna be the something people. So what are we about? Last week we talked about how our brand is Jesus. Anybody wanna just write on to that if you weren't here last week? Our brand is Jesus. Now does this mean, because I gotta clarify, because there's always a lot of people who'll come, come around this idea and I, and I think it's good for them too, but everybody, wants to rally around that, but then there are a lot of people who quickly come around and go, hey, that sounds nice, but that's way too um, idealistic, and it's very simplistic, and it doesn't show that you're really serious about faith and life in America and the current church in the West and the current church in the world. I understand that. I get that. It's not as simple necessarily as saying, I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? That's all that matters. I want to make sure you have the right Jesus, don't you? And you want to make sure I have the right Jesus, and so how would we clarify that? I would just simply clarify it by not putting a label on it and saying the Jesus of Scripture, the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Jesus who fulfills all the prophecy, the Jesus who blows up the church in the book of Acts, and the Jesus whose gospels unpack for us through all the, the epistles and through the letters, and the Jesus who's still shining in the midst of revelation in the middle of all the languages, tribes, tongues, and people because of his gift, his grace. That's the Jesus I'm talking about. So I don't know which Jesus you're talking about, but if you say, Louis, I'm talking about the Jesus of the pages of the scripture, the Jesus who healed the sick, raised the dead, the Jesus who gave his life on a cross, the Jesus who was raised up by the power of God, the Jesus who sent the spirit, the Jesus who's building the church, the Jesus who's full of truth and grace, that's the Jesus I'm talking about, and he's our brand. So Passion City Church is not our brand. Oh, it's a fantastic local collection of people, and frankly, I love it. I, I love being a part of this local expression of God's church around the world. I love this place, but the brand isn't Passion City. The brand is Jesus and his teachings. In fact, the word of God is the currency 
of this church. These were distinctives on day one. You can listen to last week and get that filled out a little bit more. The second distinctive we see on day one is that they were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. That is a good place to start, is it not? They had seen Jesus raised up from the dead. Now, I was hoping for something there. I don't know what I was hoping for, but it wasn't that. I was not expecting that. You're looking back at me like, we know this already. We have seen the movie. We, we get this. We came to the Easter gathering. We bought the cards. We gave our kids Easter baskets. We, we're all on board. Jesus was raised from the dead. But come on, Easter is, is, a, is an everyday event. It's an everyday heartbeat. It's an everyday reality. Our, our commonality today is, is that someone came back from the dead. This is what ignites the church. When these uh, guys were proclaiming the gospel in Acts chapter two, we looked at this last week, but look at this one sum, summary statement they made in verse um, 32. And this is Peter proclaiming under the power of the Holy Spirit who Jesus is. And he says in very short, clear form, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact. So in other words, the church doesn't hinge on the good teachings of Jesus, although they're amazing. The church doesn't hinge on the good deeds of Jesus though his deeds were amazing. The church doesn't even, hold on, hinge completely on the sacrificial death of Jesus for the sins of the world, although that's incomparable. The church hinges on the fact that after he made a sacrifice for the sins of the world, Jesus was raised up from the dead and our first distinctive was an empty tomb, a grave that was conquered, death that was defeated, sin that was banished, guilt that was done away with, chains that were broken, condemnation that was gone, and a living son of God. That's where this thing all began. Because to say, look, Christ has paid your debt, and in a legal sense, you've been justified with God. That's good news, except for the fact that you're still dead in your sin. And only until Jesus was raised from the dead could he then raise us up from the dead and give us victory over the grave, put away guilt and shame in our lives, break the chains of condemnation in our lives, and give us the hope of a relationship with our Father that will never, ever undergo decay. And he said, not only did God do this, but we were witnesses of the fact. If you're new to Christianity and new to the journey and you're like, I don't know, how, do you, how can you believe in resurrection? Here's one simple way. Before you experience that power personally, here's a simple way. When, when Peter was preaching this message, he was preaching a message to people who actually were living in the shadow of the death and resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, this sermon would have ended in a huge thud, not 3,000 people giving their lives to Christ. It would have ended in a, you know what, that sounds great and fantastic, but you're trying to pull one over on us. If everybody will follow me, I'd like to take you out now and show you the burial place of Jesus. You're like, well, maybe they had hidden his body. Well, they hid it really amazingly. 
because Jerusalem wasn't Manhattan. It was a relatively small town. And it was under Roman rule, and the tomb was sealed under Roman authority. Guards were stationed there day and night to prevent such a hoax. And there were eyewitnesses left, right, and everywhere around. And had it been true that somewhere stashed in the rocks or in the bottom of a lake or somewhere in somebody's cupboard was the body of Jesus, trust me, that would have gotten out weeks later after the fact when Peter was standing up to the religious leaders who orchestrated the crucifixion and the burial and the tomb of Jesus and saying before them all, God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of the fact. We are eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. That was a distinctive of the church on day one, and it's gotta be a distinctive of the church today. I mean, if, if you and I, being the church, are not caring in our own hearts, I've ex- no, I wasn't standing there uh, physically on day one when Christ came and appeared to over 500 people and, and lived among his followers for weeks after the fact, before he was ascended into heaven. I wasn't standing right there when Thomas put his hands in the nail scars in his wrist and, and in his feet and, and in the scar in his side, but, 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 but I have experienced something supernaturally powerful in my life, and something has come back to life again in me, I could say I have witnessed, not with my eyes, but with the experience of my life, the power of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I know I've experienced this in my life, and I still feel the power of it every single day. All of us in the church, I love this, have a past, amen? How many of you have a past? Could anybody show us you had a past? How many of you, some of you are not sure you have a past, because you were born in a nice Christian home, and went to Sunday school when you were really small, got all the bad and RAs and got all the, uh, whatever you got in GAs, and uh, that's Baptist terminology. You can put that in your own little world, wherever you came from. And you're like, you know what, I've always, you know, I, well, I mean, I stole that gum at the grocery store when I was little, and my mom took me back and made me apologize to the manager of the store. So yeah, I guess you could say I have a past, you know. <laughs> but come on, who has like a real past? Like some brokenness, some craziness, some darkness, some hurt, some shame, some guilt, some confusion, And yet at some point, Christ came along in your life and you literally felt like you got your life back, you got hope back, you got a future back, you got peace of mind back, you got got life given back to you. We all have that. All the people in the true church of Jesus have a past. If you're in this thing you think's called the church and that doesn't do something in you, what I just said, I don't know if you really know the gospel. Because the gospel says we were all dead in our sins. And God made us alive in Christ. And if that hasn't happened in you, there wasn't a sense of resurrection in you, then the gospel might not have blown up inside you yet. You might have gotten information and missed out on the revelation. You might have got a form of faith but missed out on the power of God. Because all of us were hopeless, and all of us in Christ have experienced that same hopeful resurrection from the dead. That's how we know that when our time is up on this earth, that that will not be the end of us. A hole in the ground, an urn on the mantle will not be the final resting place of any of the followers of Jesus' true church. That is simply a doorway. That is just a doorway. That is simply a doorway into the presence of God because of the resurrection power 
in us. We all have a past. We're all in process. Anybody want to raise your hand to that one? We're all, not really? Okay, well, I was thinking I, I will. I'm in process. I have a past, and I'm in process. I'm not there yet. And, and praise God for those of you who are. I mean, I celebrate you, we rejoice with you. It must be amazing and wonderful to be on that little island of arrival. I mean, I don't know how you, how, how you did it, but congratulations, but I have a past and I'm in pro- process, which means I don't have it all together yet. I don't get it right every time. I, I, don't, I don't see it right every time. And almost every day, somewhere along the way, the Holy Spirit says, man, you're doing great, and you know you're loved and prized by God, but there's still some places for you to go. And all that's possible because of resurrection in our lives. These men, and we're gonna see this toward the end, followed Jesus, and you know why they followed him? They followed him because he was risen from the dead. They didn't follow him after he died on the cross. They didn't leave Calvary and go, that's it, that's it. He, that, that's all we need. We are going to charge the darkness. No, after the cross, they went and hid together in a closed and locked down room. But after the resurrection, something started stirring inside of them and they said, oh wow, we're on to something amazing. They were followers of the way, Acts says, and the way they were following was the way of resurrection Life. It was distinctive of the church on day one. The third thing they had, this uh, Acts 2 church, you know, we say, well, we, we know they did this, 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 and this, and that's what we want to do. No, they didn't know they were supposed to do all those things. So what did they have? They had Jesus, eyewitnesses, the teachings of Jesus, the brand of Jesus, the name of Jesus. They were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And the third thing is they had the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, you got to help me today. I mean, I'm just trying my best today. You got you to gotta be somewhere with me today. They had the power of the Holy Spirit on day one. Now, let me ask you a question. If you had been with Jesus personally, let's say you walked with Jesus and he knew your name, you knew him, y'all hung out, uh, the five loaves and the, and the fish, you saw that go down, you saw the, the storm being calmed, you saw Lazarus come out of the tomb and be unwound, you saw all that go down, you were there for that. And then you saw him crucified and you saw him raised up from the dead, you hung out with him and said, whoa, no way, this is really him. Uh, He appeared to all these people. Then you were there when he went up into heaven. I mean, imagine that. We don't talk a lot about that, but you were there the day he went, okay, I'm out of here, guys, and up he went. And there he went up into the angels and up into glory and up into heaven, and you were like, and then an angel appeared to you and said, why are you looking up there? You need to be looking down here, because remember, he told you you're gonna be on mission for him, so don't worry about that, man. Start looking around at this, and you were like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think if you'd been with Jesus seen Jesus, walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, seen him crucified, seen him raised from the dead, that you, you think that that would qualify you and make you ready to go and do the mission of Jesus in the world? No. How about that? That's not enough. <laughs> Come on. Walked, talked, lived, breathed, ate, shared life together, saw him crucified, saw him raised from the dead, saw him ascended to heaven, and he said, hey, you're not ready. You're like, well, they're not ready. I'm never gonna be ready. If they weren't ready, then how are we gonna get ready? If they weren't ready to take this message to the world, how are we gonna be ready to take the message to the world? Jesus said to them, this is Acts chapter one, uh, verse four. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. So this wasn't a suggestion, it was a commandment. Do not leave Jerusalem. 
Now, why did he say that? Because they were saying, man, this is amazing. This is amazing. This is amazing. I'm going to head back to Antioch. I'm going to head up, up, up coast. I'm going to head down country. I'm, I'm getting back. I, I, this is incredible. And he said, no, no, no. Don't go anywhere. Don't leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so then they met together. They asked the Lord, and this question about the kingdom of heaven and when the times are. He says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But look at verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you will be my witnesses. The, the mission is so simple and clear. Wait. Spirit's going to come on you, not on us, but on you. And when he comes on you, your mission then will be crystal clear. You're going to be my witness. Not your witness, but my witness. Your, your life is going to take on a purpose in the coming of the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Spirit has a, a terminal focus. And that focus is that you'll be then able to proclaim me. You'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, in other words, in this area around Jerusalem, and to the ends of the earth. That's the hope of the coming of the Holy Spirit of God. You know, we talk about this a lot, and I, I do it sometimes in jest, but this is for the church. This is our distinctive on day one. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know we've all come from these different labels and these different streams and these different denominations. And honestly, growing up, it was kind of like, well, they have the Holy Spirit and we kind of believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, over there, it's a he and over there, it's an it. I mean, in our church, we pray, Lord, send your spirit and let it do whatever. And over there, they seem to be talking about the Holy Spirit. We don't really mention them a lot. They've got a dove out on the church sign out on the corner. And it's sort of divided up like sort of us versus them and who has the spirit and who doesn't have the spirit. I'd just like to say today that the distinctive of the church Jesus is building, a non-negotiable distinction on day one is they had the power of the Holy Spirit on and in their lives to proclaim Jesus fearlessly and boldly. It was a non-negotiable It wasn't, oh, well, y'all can have the Holy Spirit and we're going to have the scriptures. No, it was, we all are going to have the teachings of Jesus, we're a witness of the resurrection of Jesus, but we also have the power of the Holy Spirit, because he said, without the power of the Holy Spirit, don't do anything. This always comes back to me every time we gather, every time I meet with somebody, anytime I open scripture, anytime we're, we're focusing our lives around any common objective, it's always in the back of our hearts, right? God, please don't let this happen apart from the power of your Holy Spirit doing in and through us what we cannot do in and through ourselves. And without that, we are kidding ourselves. We're playing games together. We need his spirit to empower us to do the things that he's called us to do. We have this really awesome building that we gather in. We don't call this Passion City Church. In fact, it says 515, the address on the wall. 
And I love that, and, and there's probably gonna be a day that it says Passion City Church somewhere out there, and that'll, everybody will be thrilled then, because we'll have 515 up there and Passion City Church over there, and nobody will mistake who we are and what we do. I love meeting people, though. I mentioned being at this party a couple of weeks ago and met so many people there, and they were like, well, where's your church? Met a guy in D.C. this week, actually. He's like, well, I know Atlanta pretty well. Uh, not a believer, not a church kind of going person. And he said, where, where is your church? And I said, well, it's in Lindbergh. Oh, okay, I know Lindbergh. You mean like Piedmont and that, that area? Uh-huh. It's a little road right there where there used to be a PGA Superstore. Oh, yeah, I know that. Well, there, there, there's a building now, and that's where, where our church is. And, and it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, I know that place. But see, that's not the church. That's just a building we meet in. And we renovated this place. And when we did it, it, it kind of looks sort of cool. I mean, at least for somebody, that some other person looks at it and goes, it's the ugliest looking thing, worst looking thing I've ever seen. Somebody else rolls up and goes, well, that, that's pretty cool for a church. That's pretty cool. And, and here's the thing. There was, there was never an intention in a philosophical way. We didn't want to make it look awful. I mean, we could have just left it the way it was, you know, with asbestos hanging down from the ceiling. He said, welcome to God. You'll be in heaven a lot sooner coming to our church than any other church. And God bless you. I don't, there wasn't asbestos in here. I'm sure there wasn't. But, um, you know, we could have just left it all like that and come in. But it was, God's not against things looking okay. Just in case you hadn't been out to Montana lately, next time you're out there, look around and go, wow, God's okay with things looking okay. But it was never in our intention and never in our philosophy to have a church that was cool. Boy, we just wanna have a cool church. No, it's been in our heart from day one and it's been in our intention from day one that we wanna have a church that's powerful. That's powerful. Because the power of God is what I need and the power of God is what you need and the power of God is what everybody in this city needs. And if people don't sense and meet with God in power when we gather and when we're scattered, then we don't have church happening. Because on day one, they had the power of the Holy Spirit. Chapter two, verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, this is the important part, I am church, you too. He's speaking to them collectively, Church of Ephesus. He's speaking to them personally as followers of Jesus. You too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives, how? By his spirit. By his spirit. And then look, if you will, just up a few verses before in verse 18. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access to the Father. How? By one spirit. And when we latch onto that, that's when reality comes. So how do you know the Holy Spirit's come? Couple things, and then we'll close. Number one, somebody's life gets changed. This story in Acts chapter three and four all revolves around uh, early days of the church and this man that we all know the story and we've talked about it here a lot, this man got healed. He was begging at the entrance to the temple. He'd been a beggar for his whole life. He was 40 plus years old and uh, Peter and John roll up and they're like, you know what, we don't have any money but we have the name of Jesus and the name of Jesus, we wanna pray for you. This man gets healed. He starts running around the temple courts and people are like, that's the beggar. That's the guy we passed every single day. What happened to him? And then they're looking at the two apostles going, oh my goodness, these men are gods. They've come down from heaven and they're worshiping them and they say, no, 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 it's not us. It's Jesus who did this. Jesus of Nazareth. Remember the one you crucified? They always try to get that in. Well, the one that God raised from the dead. Jesus did this. 
And they're like, oh my goodness. And so news starts spreading. They, they bring them in, haul them in before the authorities tell them, look, you can't keep talking about the resurrection. You can't keep talking about Jesus. But look, they couldn't shut it down. Why? Because there's a man running around in the temple court. And as long as nobody's running around the temple court, the church can just be totally irrelevant and totally discounted in the world. And everybody can look at us and go, if that works for you, that's great. If y'all feel like you need to gather together, walk together, do life together, that's fantastic, but I don't really need it. But as long as there's one guy running around in the temple courts that everybody's going, that guy has had a total transformation of life. His marriage was wrecked and God has put it all back together again. His business went under, his health went under, he was totally off on the deep end. This guy, whatever happened, you know, put your own story around it, but look now at what's happening. God has done a miracle. And that was the basis from which the message of the church was validated to the world, that somebody's life changed. Holy Spirit comes, and somebody's life changes by the power of Jesus. The second thing that you see happening is that they cared for each other, and we talked about that last week. I won't go back to it, but at the end of chapter two, when the Holy Spirit came, these people began to care for each other. They met together. They lived together. They shared life together. They ate together. They were in homes together. There was a care that came for each other, not, not because it was dictated necessarily but because that's what the Holy Spirit does in people. He knits them together to care for each other. And that's what should happen in the church. And then lastly, we talked about last week, they boldly proclaimed the gospel. And we'll come and end with that. But lastly, I just want you to know that on day one, they were globally conscious. Isn't that awesome? That's what the Holy Spirit does. On day one, the church was globally conscious. It wasn't like first century, second century, third century, and finally maybe around 1920 with the missionaries, uh, then we start thinking about other peoples in the world. In the 1800s and one of the great mission movements, we started thinking about other people in the world. On day one, the Holy Spirit caused people to have a brand new global consciousness. Jesus had said that. You're gonna be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, right here, and everybody's like, amen, I like it here. In Judea and Samaria, ooh, I don't like them about Samaria. Maybe you can go to Samaria. I'd almost say here, Jerusalem, Judea, I don't know. Uh, but then he said, and then to the ends of the world. So you're gonna be my witnesses to the ends of the world. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, as promised by Jesus, preceded this sermon of Peter's. When the Holy Spirit came, people started speaking in tongues, and the context of this chapter is they started speaking the gospel to all these foreigners who'd gathered for the Pentecost celebration, and they started telling them about Jesus in their own languages. So on day one, first thing that happened was the gospel was proclaimed in many languages to all the regions of the world so that all people were hearing the story of Jesus right off the bat there was this global consciousness and awakening that this message can't be contained in a culture, in a nation, in a city, in a building, in a people. This message is for all the people God's created, for all the people on planet Earth. It's not a Western thing, because hello, on day one, it was not in the West. I love the fact, and I love telling people all the time, they say, well, you know what, that works for you, but I, that's, that's a Western faith. I'm like, hello, on day one of our church, Middle East. Our church was born in the Middle East. East. That's where our church came from. Our church wasn't born in Atlanta, Georgia. Our church wasn't born in the South. Our church wasn't born in the West. Our faith in Christ. Jesus was raised from the dead in the Middle East. I love that. 
Jesus gave his life and shed his blood in the Middle East. Jesus gave the Holy Spirit in the Middle East, not in Nashville, Tennessee, <laughs> but in right smack dab in the Middle East, in the most controversial city on earth, the Holy Spirit came. And the gospel was born. And out of that epicenter, the gospel has gone forth into every nation. And you have that mindset not after you attend a missions conference, but you get that mindset as soon as the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in you. And if you don't have that mindset today, I, I, I am just one person and I don't know you. But if you don't have that mindset, you have to ask this question today. Do I have the Holy Spirit living in me? Because on day one, when he came, a global consciousness came across the followers of Jesus. And it happened so fast. They thought, oh, it's gonna be Jerusalem, then we're gonna go to Samaria, then we're gonna go to Judea, and then eventually we'll work our way out to the ends of the earth. And he said, no, it's not gonna happen like that. I'm gonna bring the whole world to Pentecost. I'm gonna come on that day. You're gonna speak in all the languages of the world, and I'm gonna accomplish all this on one day. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, things happen exponentially, not sequentially. And a global consciousness was born on day one. I love that we have this friend here today who's given his life to go and serve the people of Iraq. So many Christians, so many followers of Jesus sitting on the sofa going, that place is a wasteland. Everybody's blowing up everybody. There's no hope for that country. I'm not sure what the outcomes are gonna be. It looks like a wash. It looks like a desert. It looks like there's no chance there. And this guy, 32 years of age, for six years says, you know what, I'm gonna go live there. Why would he do that? Why would anybody in their right mind go live in Iraq? Because the Holy Spirit brings a global consciousness to the followers of Jesus. And you start realizing that there are millions of people who need to hear the gospel revolution and you glow, you go, and you say, come on, Holy Spirit, you said you'd give power for here, there, and everywhere, and I'm everywhere, and I wanna see you come. That's not weird, and it shouldn't be reserved for 4% of us who went to the missions workshop. That's what the Holy Spirit does and that's who the church of Jesus is. We are a globally conscious church. And then I'll just close with this. I gotta bring it to a close, but the last thing, I just wanna say it again. When the Holy Spirit comes, here's how you know. Global consciousness happens, and there's a fearless proclamation of Jesus. They brought the apostles in after this healing. They started proclaiming the resurrection. They brought him in and said, hey, this is chapter four Acts. You can read it. They said, we're gonna shut this down. We're gonna shut this down. And the apostle said, you know what? We respect you so much, but we can't not share what we have seen and heard. 
We've seen a resurrection and we've seen a man healed. <laughs> so I'm sorry. And, and I, we totally respect you. We totally understand. Please forgive us for you know, proclaiming. Maybe this, this sermon went on too long. Maybe, you know, I don't know, it's crazy. All those people get baptized. I know it's been a little bit wild. But come on, we can't not talk about what we've seen and heard. And so they threatened him some more, came to the end. They realized they couldn't really stop him. So they just said, all right, here's the deal. And they took him behind closed doors and probably gave him the what for and thought they'd sort of intimidated him some. And so the, the apostles left. They went back to the gathering of the faithful to the church. They met together. They said, man, we just had, you know, got the riot act read to us by those guys. We'd just been before all the authorities. They threatened us. They threatened us with imprisonment. They threatened us with physical harm. They threatened our families. But we told them we can't not proclaim Jesus. And they said, come on, let's pray. And they prayed in Acts chapter four at the end. Their opening line was, oh, sovereign Lord. <laughs> they, they recounted the story of faith in the gospel of Jesus. And then this is what they prayed. Would you give your servants boldly, boldness? Would you give your servants boldness to fearlessly proclaim the message of Jesus? And would you do signs and wonders in the name of Jesus, to affirm that we are your people. And it says, and when they prayed, the place was shaken, and they were all filled with the Spirit, and they all began to proclaim Jesus boldly. I mentioned being in Washington this week, and I ended up at a dinner one night, sitting next to a guy by God's providence. He's a pastor in Romania, older gentleman. He's been a pastor there for a long time. And we, he started talking to me about before revolution, after revolution. I think most of you know in 1990, Nicolae Ceausescu, who was a brutal dictator in Romania, was overthrown by the people of Romania. And freedom came to that nation. There's a cultural revolution that happened literally overnight. All of a sudden, you could worship freely as a believer. I'd been there just in that time window and actually been in a little city um, where the main prison in that nation was, where a religious dissidents, pastors, church leaders were being held, tortured, and killed for their faith. And I remember coming from Atlanta, Georgia, and being in that town in the heart of Romania and seeing that prison in, in those earliest days. And just for the first time in my life going, people gave their lives in that building. People suffered awful things in that building. People bled and died in that building. People were intimidated in that building for the faith that I profess. You know, all of a sudden, it wasn't some slideshow by somebody that came to the church. It was like looking at the walls and going, it happened in there. And as this pastor and I talked, I finally, you know, you try to play down the whole American thing, right? So you're just trying to be open. You want to learn, ask questions, talk less. And I said, you know, I hope this isn't a hard question for me to ask you, but I just wanted to ask one question. And, and if, it, if you don't want to answer it, that's okay. But I said, was it, was it better for the church during persecution or has it been better for the church since persecution? And he said, well, that's a complicated question and there would be a lot of nuance in my answer, but let me give you the simple answer. He said, before the revolution, you only had to make one decision. Every morning, one choice. Am I with Jesus or am I with them? That's the only choice you had to make. And he said, and if you made the choice that morning, I'm with Jesus. He said, everything else was easy after that. He goes, oh, not easy in the sense of 
pain-free. He said, after that choice would be arrests, beating, death, persecution. He said, under persecution, every time I left my home, my family gathered and we prayed every single time I walked out the door because it was likely it would be the last time I'd ever see my family. And every time I walked out the door, I said to my wife, I love you. And then I left. He said, but all you had to do is make one choice. I'm with Jesus, period. And he said, and then everything else for the rest of the day was already done. He said, all the other decisions were simple after that. You wanna arrest me? That's fine. You want me to recount my faith? No way. You want me to turn back on Jesus? Not happening. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna have to suffer this because of that? Fine, because I've already made my decision today. And he said, the church flourished in those days and it struggled since. Because now nobody has to walk out the door in the morning making the decision, I'm with Jesus. Now the days are filled with all the other decisions we make. That well, I was stressed about this and stressed about that and worried about the other. And he goes, and I pray with my family sometimes when I leave and I catch myself sometimes saying to my wife, I'll see you later, honey. But that never happened before. And he said, you know what's weird about it, Louie? He said, you can't manufacture that kind of desperation. And I just wanted to remind us today, I, you know, I don't know what the future of America is. I don't know if maybe God's gonna lead quite a few of us to some other place in the world. I just wanna remind us today that on day one, the gospel of Jesus was under fire on day one. It wasn't meant to be lived out in ease and pleasure and comfort. It wasn't meant to be something that we tuck in our back pocket and, and keep, you know, kind of on the ready for when we need it. It was meant to be worn as a badge, as a banner. This is my faith. I believe in Jesus. I've seen him. I've experienced the resurrection. I've experienced the filling power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm, God, I'm globally conscious, and I'm fearlessly going to proclaim the name of Jesus. I'm not going to be annoying to people. That's not my goal. I don't want to be the loudest person on the planet. That's not my goal. But I'm going to be bold, and I'm not going to be afraid to raise up my flag and say, I have found grace and mercy and truth and love in Jesus Christ. He's the one who's working inside of me. He's the one who's changing me. I have a past. Yeah, I do. And I'm in process. Yes, I am. But Jesus is doing something powerful in my life. And I just want the world to know I don't want to be annoying. I don't want to be that guy or that girl. I want to be normal. I want to blend in. I want to be able to fit in a little bit. But I'm never going to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. I'm never going to be ashamed of that. But I'm going to fearlessly proclaim that. And I just, my prayer today is that we would be those people, that I would be that person. I've seen Jesus and I'm in his word. I've experienced resurrection power in my life. Even though I'm not all the way there yet, I'm on the way and something's happened in me. And I'm trusting the Holy Spirit every day to do in me what no one else can do and what I know I can't do without him. And I'm seeing the fruit of that. I'm seeing the fruit of that. Things are changing. I'm starting to care about people. That's the church. I'm starting to become globally conscious. That's the church. And we're fearlessly proclaiming 
Jesus. That's who we are. I am that. And you are that. Christ in us, the hope of glory.